2: Uh, hello, and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, my guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same, it's just human nature. Uh, secondly, My podcasts aren't suitable for children and some adults for that matter, so please consider if it's right for you and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter.
3: That's when I went down. I did hear the shot and then I just
2: fell. I've got two guests today, with one of them Pia, A support person as such from a main guest, Helen McMurtry, who, through a traumatic incident, learned some very valuable lessons for serving police out there. Pia and her colleague, Alana, founded Emerge and See. New South Wales, an independent support charity for serving medically retired members of the New South Wales Emergency Services Living with Occupational PTSD, which I refer to now, I prefer to refer to it as PTSI because it's an injury, not a disorder. And I suppose we need to help any way we can to destigmatize mental health injuries as just that, an injury, not a disorder. Uh, Pia and Alana have lived experience with PTSI and were able to help Helen navigate that new, confusing, often overwhelming world. Too often, I hear of members who just don't have the energy to deal with it, so they don't. What angels Pia and Alana are at Emerge and See New South Wales and how I wish I'd had an organisation uh, like them to support and help me. So thank you, Emergency, and uh, for all you do. So today's guest, Helen McMurtry, she was a New South Wales police person for 18 years and she loved her job until she attended a domestic violence incident, which changed her life forever and many other people as well. Helen loved policing. it's, It's hard to explain. It just gets into your blood. And I suppose apart from a small minority, police are good, honest, decent people who care about others and want to help those who need it. And that's what Helen loved and did until the 18th of January, 2020. Not long ago, is it really? On that day, Helen was shot in the neck and her two colleagues were injured also. One of those colleagues had only in the previous few weeks graduated from the New South Wales Police Academy. Responding to a domestic dispute is one of the most dangerous jobs a police person can attend. Policing is full of dangerous jobs, but most of them we can navigate our way through but Helen couldn't navigate her way out of this one and she was never able to return to policing. Helen's voice is now quieter. It fatigues quickly. She requires to lubricate her throat often, but trust me, (laughs) she'd give (laughs) many a run for their money. Uh, The respect, care and compassion that she has for the people who helped her that night and since is obvious and so genuine, but she's also had a great deal of support and care from Alana and Pia from Emergency, uh, who have really been Helen's lifeline. So thanks today for your time, Helen and uh, Pia, and welcome. Thanks, Narelle. Thanks for having us. It's an absolute pleasure. We were having a bit of a, a chat for the listeners. We are having a bit of a chat just before, and we were talking about the weather, and I've got to say, on my computer at the moment, it says here it's seven degrees and sunny. What's it like up there in New South? It's um, pretty wet, I believe. It's
4: very wet. We've just had torrential rains and flooding. Um, we're okay where we are in town at the moment, but we do feel sorry for the people that are going through this again in other parts of the state.
2: We might just uh, identify each other because we've got two guests today. So the lady just talking, then that was Pia. Yes, that's me. Okay, and Helen, you might just say hello, so we know who who we're talking to. Hello, everyone. Um, this is Helen. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the least you'll say, I reckon, for the for the whole of the podcast. <laughs>
3: Saving
4: her boys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Actually, and you've told me that you two used to work together. Uh, you were both in the job for eighteen years. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's you get very you form some beautiful friendships. the police don't you and obviously you two have um have got a great connection
4: yes you do form great friendships and I think lifelong friendships and not one necessarily that you continue on a daily basis um you just when you work together you just have that camaraderie and the respect um, from day one I think when you um build relationships like that and work so closely together so um, I met Helen when she started at um, Glee Police back in 2002, two thousand and two, and I have to say for your listeners, we call Helen Hen. Um, it's a nickname that <laughs> for several, Love it. several reasons her name's Hen, but mostly because of um, I look at her as a mother hen. She likes to have her flock around her, look after people, always looking out for other people. Um, so policing was definitely suited to her um, personality like that.
2: Yes, and from what I've read, uh, Helen, you sound like a bit like me or a lot like me in that you loved the job, and you did you think it was also the best job in the world?
3: I, I did, I still do. Um, i I had not really I didn't want to do anything else for my career. Um, and I saw it as a career, you know, not just to uh, go in, do a few years, and get and get out. It was, it was till the end for me. Um, and you know, it, it's the best job, but I always say it's also one of the hardest jobs. Um, the, the the parts of it, like as, as you know, we're, we're all suffering PTSD. That's the hard part of it. Um, yeah. the, the toll it takes on you and your family. Um, but that uh, when when you can walk away from a job knowing that you have helped somebody um, oh, yeah. no matter how big or small um in that moment, if you are there and you can help them in their, you know it's their darkest time when the you know when the police have to be called for something it's mm-hmm. a, it's a hard point in someone's life, and it can be their darkest time um, so for you to be able to be there and and help those people, um, that's a great personal reward, I I
2: find. Yeah, I agree, Helen, and I've got to say I found it and I'm hearing it through what you're saying. I found it a privilege to be able to help somebody in their darkest time to um, make them feel safe or to get them to a hospital or, I don't know, to perform CPR or whatever it be. I felt it was a, as stressful as, and difficult as it is, it was the most rewarding job I think anybody could ever have. Yeah. I, I think saying that as well, you, you,
3: most of the time you don't actually see or hear back about the, the good you have done. You, you, and especially in the business yes. stations, mm. you know, you, you move on to the next job and you may not see that person again. Um, in country stations or remote um, stations, you do have um, a bigger involvement in people's lives. Um, you know, you see them off duty. You go there, you know their names. You can, you can see when they're going through good times and you can see when they're going through bad times. You can see when you've actually helped them and you can see when they need a bit more help. so if I I find with with the country policing, um, if you really do want to get in and and I call it sort of prevention instead of cure, if you want to go in there and maybe stop that cycle, um, really help some kid, Become something. Um, country policing is much easier to do that.
2: Yeah, you're right, and uh, I, I'm gathering by that that you have worked in the country as well as the city, which we'll get to in a minute. But I'd have to say I've worked in country and a city as well. And you're right about in the city you go from one job to the other, and you don't really get involved. And and I can always remember one time where I went to an accident where there was an older man and I don't know why, but he got taken off to hospital and he was very sick, but I found out that he he pulled through and I wanted to go and see him. And I always remember my Sergeant saying, I don't think that's a good idea, Narelle. Oh, and I couldn't understand why because, and he said to me, you can't afford to get involved because you'd be doing that with every car accident victim, you know, in the city. I mean, well, the, the country is different, but you're right. You do go from one job to the other and you don't know what happens in the city. Yes, that's true. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and so, Helen, I might, with that, I might, did you work in the country? Could you Can you give us a little bit of history of the 18 years in the job where you worked and what you loved about it? Uh,
3: yeah, I um, I graduated from the uh, New South Wales Police Academy, it was called then, um, in 2002. And I went to my first choice station, which was Leichhardt, and it was a um, local area command uh, back then. So the police station was situated in Glebe. Uh, I'd never been to that area before, um, but... just kept telling me to put it down and so I did and I got my first choice. I moved up from Wollongong um, up to Sydney and um, I worked there general duties for five years. Uh, Pia and I were on the same team, she was senior to me Uh, so when we were out on the the truck it was um, a lot of learning, but also a lot of fun. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of a fun. lot of fun. I think you could have a bit more fun back then too, <laughs> you couldn't you? Could. <laughs> you, certainly a lot more. You, you certainly could. Um, and so our our team was. I think everyone thinks their team was the best team, but our team, wasn't the the team was the best team for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we had great people on our team, but like. Well, like P was going into it about the respect and you know the forming of friendships, but I always say it's the trust that you put in people, you know mm-hmm. like I'd never met Pierre before that in my life, but immediately you put your trust in each other because you have to mm-hmm. um you know i I trusted Pierre and and i'm not I'm not one of those people that likes to bring gender into anything you know you to me you are a police officer um yes but being a female and being a scrawny little thing um, <laughs> <laughs> um i had to obviously look at the females and and see right so how how does pia go in a wrestle and so i remember <laughs> one job oh <laughs> you and rob grassy yeah and it was uh it was a male who was trying to harm himself and so we were three of us were up in this, you know, horrible, smelly unit and um, and it, it turned into on, and so I'm thinking, right, what do I do here? And Pia just yelled, <laughs> just jump on the legs, you know. So I, You know, <laughs> like grass is at the top, Pia's at the top and I just go and grab around the legs so they can't kick. And so I'm learning, obviously, um, from Pia. Um, about how to best use my scrawniness in um, certain situations. <laughs> and then every wrestle after that, she was always on the legs. On oh, the legs. <laughs> it's funny you say that too because um, I know we'll talk about Sam a little bit later, but um, so Sam is the probationer that um, that I was working with. Oh, yes, yep. And we ended up getting into three, three, three female officers, um... Kim, me, and Sam—we ended up getting into a wrestle in the um, in the charge room at Gleninus Police Station. And so Kim and I were up the top, and I looked at Sam, and I could see the same look on her face Now, <laughs> I wouldn't see on my face, like you know, years ago. And I just went. Jump on the legs! <laughs> I like even though you're in the middle of a wrestle. Yeah, I'm
2: going. Thanks, Pia. You know, yeah. I thought
3: back to then, and I went, you know, all these lessons that you learn, especially when you're a probationer, you carry on, and then you yell it at the next you probationer that yeah. comes along, and they'll remember, and they'll yell it at the next one. So all those good lessons that you learn. Um, so you do I find you know you put your trust in the the people you work with so much with your life, and um and our team, oh jeez, we had God, oh, we had some funny people, Oh, well like just sense of humor and that dark humor, yeah, um, yes and, yeah, oh gee, the things you'd be laughing at, no
2: one else in the world would understand no. they, and, and you and you're right, Helen, and I think that people. That weren't there or in a situation would be terribly offended by that. What we call that dark humour, but that dark humour is what got me through a lot of, I suppose, pretty tough incidents, and it's our way of coping. But if the general public heard those those comments and those discussions we had, they would be horrified. but it's our you know, our way of uh, our coping, isn't it? And I've just got to say there, Helen, that you're talking about um, um, what Pia's like in a wrestle. <laughs> I don't know about you, Pia, but what my job was always <laughs> to sit on their chest because they couldn't body move. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that, Narelle. I'm not sure
4: which part of the body I sat on the most. <laughs>
2: No, once I sat on them, they'd never move. Oh, that's funny. I don't know
3: if that's approved training, though. Do what you can, don't you? With what you got, that's that's what I say.
2: Yeah, that's true. Hey, Helen, why did you choose Glebe as your first station? What was it about Glebe that you that attracted you?
3: I don't know. It was it was nothing. That, I'd never been there. I knew it was in the city, and that is all I knew. And I don't know. Like um, I look, I, I truly say, and I don't want to freak anybody out. I guess, but I do believe that that God was telling me to go there. You know, um, for, 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 there's no no other way for me to explain it. And the I would think that the great, unbelievable way that my career has has gone um i have never i've never been assaulted i've never had to spray anybody i've never had to batten anybody i've never been to a fatal car accident um, even though like i worked out on the barrier highway um, new england highway glider highway Parramatta road um, never been to a fatal accident never i don't even rec- i've never been to a murder You know, and and people don't believe, like, for, what, 16 years, I was in the job 16 years um, before I got shot. So I sort of don't really count those last couple of years because I wasn't working. Um, But in that amount of time, you know, I had the absolute most perfect career. And all I can say is, like, my my dad is a minister of religion and um, my mum, she's passed now, but... um, very, very strong faith in God, and so they yeah. prayed for me a lot. I think their first prayer was, "Please, don't, don't let them accept her into the cops." That might have been the first <laughs> one, <point. laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: um, but I know they they prayed about me every day that I wouldn't get hurt, um, and mm. I can say that for for sixteen years. Yeah, um, that that worked. Yeah. yeah.
2: You know, you you say that so flippantly about um, you know you've never been you haven't had to go to a, a murder you haven't yeah. had to uh, you haven't been to a fatal car accident and you say apart from getting shot and then you continue on like <laughs> no. it's just so flippant. Well, made up for it, didn't I? <laughs> Bloody hell, did you what?
3: No, I, I had nothing to complain about, so. I didn't... <laughs> Ah dear, complaining.
2: Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I might just uh, say here too that um, there's a lot of things there I'd like to explore about your religious beliefs if they've been changed since being shot. But I think what we'll do is I might just um, comment on the fact that when we were testing our microphones that you were quite a bit quieter than Pia, mm-hmm. but uh, as you explained or Pia explained, that your voice, because you were shot, and we're going to go into this in a minute, but because you were shot in the neck, it has affected your voice. So if people think you are a bit quiet, um, it's not that you are quiet, in you, mm-hmm. you just your voice is a little bit quiet, but um, it, it's fine and I, it's hard to... It's hard to get my head around, Helen, Mm -hmm. the fact that, as I say, you say it so flippantly. Oh, yes, I got shot. But, boy, does time change, doesn't it? Uh, Things change in in the flick of an eye and uh, they certainly changed for you. I'm wondering, we we might go into – I've got a a few questions here but, oh, gee – it, it's hard to ignore that, that comment and I think, I think maybe we just go to it now. Mm. Can you tell us about what happened, Helen, in as much detail or as less detail as you feel comfortable with?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think when you say I say it flippantly, I, it's, it's like what I call um, you go into statement mode. You know when you you had to recall a job, put your brief together, and it might be a horrible a horrible job that you you know you, you you've got to the end of the job that night or whatever, and you think, "Oh good, I can put that one away." but then you get a brief notification and you go, "Oh, now I've got to relive this, I've got to do my own statement, I've got to get other people's statements, and you are reliving that job, you know another thirty times, and then you've got to go to court on it. So what I find um when when I put myself in situations like this to talk about it, I go into statement mode and I sort of just it's almost like I'm, you know, at this time, at this date, at this place, I you know <laughs> yeah, yeah in Leichhardt fifteen with, you know, Constable Schindler, blah blah blah. You know, you you just make it I don't know, just like, yeah, like I say, statement mode. Do the, do the emotions come back, Helen? They do. They will come back after this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, like, I think it's very often for police, you put on that brave face
4: yeah, and you are that
3: tough cop and then you break down later, you know, when no one's watching you. Um, so that that happened. did um, do a... a, a Podcast uh, a while ago and that was the same yeah you get through it I go in statement mode and then I'm a, I'm a mess on the floor for days um, okay. so I guess the reason to be doing this is to let other police know that we're not invincible um, we, we, we do fall Um, It is okay to fall and there are people there who understand um, and there is a charity there to help you get back up. Um, And so in my mind, getting through something like this um, and talking about it and talking about it so publicly, um, it's worth it. For those yeah. reasons. So, um, so I guess that's why, why you, you I, I can, you know, have a even I, I even joke about it sometimes, just to like that black humour. You know, it, it's just mm. something that gets you through it. Um, so, I guess with with the incident, um, working in a small town, I was working in Glen Innes at the time, um, I'd been in Glen Innes for about nine years. Um, when you're working in a small town, you know everyone. You, you know my, every crook in town uh, and you know so many good people as well. I had never met these people and I had never been to the house um, where it happened. I, it was a Friday night, Friday night shift, so we start at 6 p.m. and finish at 4 a.m. And I was rostered on with um, Samantha. She was a probationer, um, four weeks out of the academy at, at that time, and young, beautiful, such a Beautiful heart, you know. You know, when we talk about joining the police for the right reasons and to help, that's her. She wasn't there for the uniform. She was there for what I call the right reasons. Yeah. And in your first six weeks of being a probationer, you are to have a third person in the truck. So it's not just you and the probationer. Um, there are three people there because, as everyone would know, as a as a probationer, you're learning. You're not doing, especially in your four first four weeks. Um, you are learning. You are watching. There are low expectations of what you will actually get involved with. You, 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 I take baby steps, and I allow the the probationer um, to tell me, right, I, I want to move up to the next thing. Yeah, I'd like to take this job on. Um, and and then that way um, they're moving at a, at a level that they're comfortable with, you're not smashing their confidence by throwing them in too fast. Uh, so Sam was at, I, I was like that with Sam. Um, Friday night, anywhere, you know, in the city and you are, you're running from the moment you get to work. Uh, it's a, it has its moments where you are flat out, but generally speaking, it's, uh, it's an easier station to work at as far as workload. You do have time to take on portfolios. I think I was like the the court folder portfolio. So you you do the jobs, but then you also have extra duties because there is that time to do them. Friday night, uh, we had not had a job up until this one was called, Uh, and I think it was around 9.30ish roughly that this job was called. So up until that point, um, we had been in the station getting paperwork done. Um, The job got called and I went in and told the sergeant um, about the job, that a a serious domestic had just been called. And so we um, jumped in the car and and, uh, made our way there. We met um, the lady. I, I can't say any names due to the suppression order from um, the inquest. Yep. So I'll just sort of say um, the wife, her sister, the man, and her daughter. I think they're sort of the the four main um, people at, at that time. Yes. Yep. So we turned turned up and we met the wife, daughter. And sister across the road and, and down a bit from the house, uh, which is good. Uh, they were with the Ambos, who, um, again, in, in country towns, you know the Ambos, they're, they're your friends because um, you know them by their nicknames, by their first names, because you it, it's you and them. They're, they're about as short staffed as you are. Um, so, the wife was being treated in the ambulance. Uh, she had, um, when, when we talked to her later, she had been choked uh, quite, quite seriously. She didn't know if she had actually um, blacked out or not. Um, and the sister was there. She had been called to come over by the wife after the incident. And... Their daughter, or her daughter, it's actually not the man's daughter, it's just the wife's daughter. She's an adult um, and she suffers um, mild Down syndrome. Um, So we were obviously talking to the AMBOs and talking to those three ladies, getting some information. We had our body-worn cameras activated at certain times, which is, I know a lot of cops hate them, um, but in this instance when you go through something so fast and so traumatic, it's not so much what you don't remember, it's more about the sequence. Yes. I know that happened, but when did it happen? And did I say that? Or did you know, when did I say that? It's the sequence and when I watched that video back, as difficult as it was, it really allowed me to understand that whole incident better and for me to to deal with it and to process it. I, I you know, when, when the cameras are rolling, it's all there, it's all fact. There's no making anything up or or wondering anything. It's all there. So I can I can say thank God that we had our our body was, uh running and from.
0: Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com.
3: On the investigative side, like Pia ended up in the Ds. Mm. When something like that happens, an investigator that will come in for it can watch that video and get a better understanding right then and there of what Mm. happened and that can help them with their investigation from there. If they weren't running, um, Mark... The sergeant, he had to go up to Gold Coast Hospital. I had to go up to the Gold Coast ho- Hospital. Um, Sam was um, Sam was in a position where she could be spoken to, uh, but that's also a very traumatic time. Uh, so to be able to watch that video would would do so much, uh, bring so much ease for the investigator oh, yeah. on that point. Yeah. Um, so after we spoke to um, those three people and the AMBOs, um, the AMBOs left and, you know, obviously we went, see a Buster, see you, Kerry, and they drove off. And we got in the police car and I had told the sister um, She'd had a bit to drink prior to being called over. Yeah. And, you know, she was repeatedly asking us or telling us that she had been drinking and I told her, look, that's that's okay. We're not worried about you uh, driving over here if you've had a few drinks. I'm, I'm not worried. I would have done exactly the same thing if my family member had called saying this. Yeah, and so when, <clears throat> excuse me, when we were leaving, I told um, I told the sister, look, I know you've had a few to drink, but my, our, our dealings with her, you know, like, allowed me to just say it's more important, and I believe even safer for you just to drive home, take the wife and the daughter with you, drive this way so you don't need to go past the house yeah. to get them out of the area. They don't need to be there. We don't want to call a taxi to come in. We don't want anyone else in that area. We, we just want them to go. Mm. Cleanliness is quiet. You, you probably wouldn't see a car the whole drive home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I made the call, look, just, just go, get out of here, and I will talk to you guys later. So... We then made our way to the house. Um, we stopped a bit further down. I wanted to call him and get a better understanding of, of what was going on with him, uh, with, uh, with the firearms, with his mental state, his level of intoxication, just that information that you would um want to get to then determine what should happen from that point. Yeah. And he didn't answer. So we drove closer to the house and got out and started walking to the front yard. I saw that the... um the wife and the sister and the daughter had parked across the road
2: Uh, oh my goodness uh,
3: and so i've mentioned that and just knowing the you know domestics are extremely emotional and choking uh that is so close and so angry and so that high emotional um, addition, you know, factor to the to the domestic um, to have them there, I just and I believe they were recording, which uh, that that just does my head in when when people do that. What do they think we're going to do? Turn up and you know drag him and out by his hair and all that. You know, it it just. It, in my mind, there's no need for it, but people feel that
2: they have to do it. So, so sorry, Helen, are you saying that the wife and the sister and the um, other young woman, mm-hmm. they were recording you at the house going to speak to the, the husband? Yes. So at some stage I have looked over and, you know,
3: when you can see someone holding up a phone. Yeah. Um, okay. So that was happening.
2: Yeah. Um, after you've, after you've asked them not to go near the house. Yep. To go, go straight home.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah, and they've gone right outside the front of the house and they're recording. Yep. Yep, okay. Yep. We've walked up to the front.
3: The house is a two-storey house. It has a um, veranda along the front, uh, of, like on the, on the first first floor up. And then there's a, a front yard that is landscaped a bit. It's got a gravel driveway and the front fence is, I, saw, I call it like pool fencing. You know how it's just got those um, vertical bars? That, yep. So it's not like a wood panel fence that is completely fenced in. You can see yep. through, you can get things through it. Yep. So I stood on the outside of the, the gates um, and just introduced us. Um, the man was up on the balcony uh, sitting on a little a seat that they had up there. I introduced us and um, he didn't he didn't say anything, I think, to begin with. I haven't watched the video for quite a long time because I really don't want to, but um, I, I think he was sitting at that time and didn't say anything. And I thought, oh, this is a bit you know, a bit strange. Normally they tell you to F off or, you know, at least say something back to you. And the sergeant opened the gate and uh, directed us into the front yard. So, again, I've tried to communicate uh, with him. Sam was on my left. The sergeant was on my right. And... We'd had a previous issue with the portable radios, which happens a lot in country areas. So they'll, when you do your radio check, it will say that you know it's fully charged, it's good to go. But when you're out in the field, you press the button to transmit and you hear a, a, like a beep, which means it's just gone flat. Uh, you, can, you can hear the radio, but you can't transmit. And I'd heard that happen earlier when we were talking to the wife and Sam went to um, copy a job. So I think it was a, a noise job. Hmm. And so I gave her my radio. So between the three of us we had one radio and Sam had it at that stage of four four weeks in. She was... Uh, good on the radio, um you know just with the copying and and um relaying information, yep, so Sam had the radio. I was trying to communicate with um with the man, and he wasn't responding he has. He stood up and was sort of just sort of pacing a bit. He didn't have anything on him. He had, you know, it was, he had a white singlet on so, you you know, you could see anything that, that he would have had up against him. And he was pacing a bit, getting, getting a bit verbal. Um, but, you know, I said to him, um, I, will, I used his name, um, can you show me your hands, please? There's, you know, there's been mention of a... Of a firearm, show just show me your hands, and and I I say that he was he started to cooperate, but wasn't just good about it. It was like here's my hands, I show you my hands, and then he'll throw them up and in the air and wave them around, and then put them back down. So he was he was cooperating, but being a bit uncooperative about it, a bit aggressive about it, but doing doing what i asked which which i thought yeah that's i can if he's gonna you know remain a bit a, angry like that i can that's fine he can be a, a, yeah. angry he's doing what i'm yeah. saying, so that's that's good I don't, I don't mind about you know the the swear words or anything like that if he's if he's still doing what i'm what I'm asking, but then continuing to talk to him. He he just really ignored it, I found, and didn't didn't sort of look look at me, didn't look at us, was just sort of pacing. He's walked down to the end of the sort of the southern end of the patio or the the veranda and that's when his whole demeanour has worsened he wasn't looking at us and that's the thing he, in in from what I believed at that point in time he was look that's when he had seen the family across the road and yeah. that's when I thought that that's in my my um Belief is that that's when he has absolutely lost it. Um, And he started yelling out. I couldn't exactly make out what he said, but it was the F word, the C word, all coming out. But I didn't think it was directed at us, it was directed in the direction of the family. Yep. And he has gone back to the seat that he was sitting on and that's when he uh, <clears throat> raised um, the rifle. So he'd had it sort of concealed or, or even just laying on that chair. I don't know if it was an intentional concealment or not, but mm. raised it up in the air. And so where the three of us have all pulled our guns and just screaming to put it down, put it down. And... Um, and as you can imagine, just you, you don't know what, you know, it, goes, it, it it feels like every millisecond is just taking forever and, yeah. and he's just holding the gun up in the air, like pointing it upwards, not at us, not even at the family, just holding it up. And we're just screaming, put it down, put it down, and I'm I'm yelling at Sam to call urgent, call urgent. And so Mark, the sergeant, he said he said he's he's loading it because I asked him later and just watching the video, but at the time. Like my my vision was that tunnel vision on, on the man, but my hearing was really, really bad, and I didn't know it at the time, but after talking to Mark and Sam and watching <clears throat> watching the video, at the time when Mark, the sergeant, said that, I I know I, like in my brain in my in my thoughts I said did he say he's loading it or he's locking it and and that that was that was my concern nothing from what Mark had said I just my hearing was terrible and I just kept yelling at Sam call urgent call urgent and then I heard Mark say she has and I thought, I didn't even hear Sam call, like, get on the radio. That that was just whatever the stress did to me. Yeah. And I, not that long ago, poor Sam, she thought that I was just yelling at her over and over and she, oh, oh I broke my heart. It absolutely broke yeah. my heart. I bet it did. I said... Oh, darling, I I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you call yeah. urgent or you know. And she did so well, and she she got out urgent man with a gun. And I think that is all you need to say. Any copper here is urgent and gun.
2: Oh, and, yeah! Gives me goosebumps oh, just listening to you say it. Yeah. I know. And
3: she got that out, and that was. You know she's in the highest stress of her life as well, and she got those words out, and that yeah. she did a fantastic job. I could not say anything higher about her. Mm. But oh, stupid me, I didn't hear it, and so I'm just thinking, why is she not calling urgent? Why is she not calling urgent? And so then we we had a good talk about it, and she's going. I thought you just didn't think I did a good job and you were just yelling at me and I'm thinking, Oh, I'm so sorry Um <laughs> uh, yeah. you know and it's just so it is just chaos and and then Mark has um the sergeant has like grabbed the back of my um vest and we've we've backed out, like obviously still facing um the man. Um and he's still holding the gun up, pointing it up. Like it was just so bizarre. And I'm thinking, just fucking shoot me. If you're going to, like, not, not like without defending myself, but what are you doing? Why are you, why are you just holding this gun straight up? And, and then I'm thinking, he's not, he's not pointing this at anybody. You know, it was just so strange. And I'm thinking, I I can't shoot this man if all he's doing is holding a gun. He's not saying, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to shoot you, you're dead. He's not threatening anything. He's not pointing it at anybody. He's just holding it up in the air. And, you know, and like I said, one, one millisecond, so much is running through your mind. And I'm thinking, does he want that death by cop? Does he just want us to put him out of his misery um and and he's not actually going to? you know all of this stuff goes through your head, mm-hmm. so we're backing out, and then I remember, oh the the family is across the road, and so i I turn to my right, which is the direction that that they are. And I just start yelling, get in your car and go, get in your car and go, because I thought he was going to shoot um, one of the family members. And so that was the last thing I, I basically knew at that stage. That's when I went down. Um I did hear the shot. Um, and then I just fell. Um, I could see that Mark and Sam were on the ground, but more in a sort of take cover position, not not as in um, there. They are injured and, and they would fallen. It was more of a shot go down, you know, where I had just fallen. I knew I I had been shot because I could feel it in my neck, okay. um, and I couldn't I couldn't move. I could still talk, um, so I was Really? You could talk? I could talk the whole time until I was put in a coma at Gold Coast Hospital. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And so... Where where were you shot, Helen? In my neck, the the left side of my neck. um, I've got a, a scar there, so it's... How would you describe that, Pia? Sort of like on the left side, low... Yeah, low neck. Just, yeah. Yeah, above the collarbone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I could feel that. Um, I could hear Sam. So I I could hear her screams. They, they weren't, you know, I'm hit or anything like that. They were just that panic, Um, you know, like stress, trauma scream. So I thought, you know, she's, I don't think she's hit. Um, and I, and I would think I know I'm hit, so I I automatically thought well the other two can't be hit, I you know I've copped it. You uh, wouldn't think that uh, that that more than one with one shot more than one person would get injured. Uh, so that made me think that you know um, Sam and Mark were okay. So they've come over, and would. Uh, They dragged me back towards the police car. And I didn't, I knew I'd said it at some stage, but like I said, with your body worn, I knew at some stage I was telling Sam things to say to my kids because I didn't think I was ever going to be able to say anything to them again. True. And watching the video... As they were dragging me, um, I just kept saying, I love my kids, I love my kids. And that wasn't even conscious to me. Like I I did not even remember saying that. Um, And so when they got me down near the police truck, um, obviously then we're just thinking, what the hell has happened? we're like, I'm, I'm just laying on the ground. I can't move. But like I said, I can
2: still talk. So... Did you have any trouble breathing?
3: Yeah, it was, um, you can hear it on the body Um uh, oh, I was in a lot of pain. Like, uh, it was like, oh, and I was talking about it before, it, it's like... um. The sound of it was like that hard squash rubber ball getting whacked up against the wall, you know, that real sort of rubbery pop, hard yeah. rubber pop. That's what it sounded like um, and, and it felt um, like um, that ball was stuck in my throat. Okay. Okay. Um, and the breathing was um, very heavy, and um, like, like like gasp, like gasping, like you could hear the the, the breath in and out. Mm. Um, so I'm laying on the ground, and I'm trying to calm Sam down. Um, And again, I didn't know this until I'd watched the video back and um, my superintendent, Mr Tanner, had a bit of a laugh with me and he said, "Geez, even when you're shot, you can't stop giving orders." And because
2: <laughs> i the thought, the thought crossed my mind too, Helen, yeah. and Bea said before about you being mother hen. Yeah. I'm thinking, my God, this woman yeah. is, you know, for all t- intents and purposes, you're dying on the ground, and you're uh, you're more concerned about everyone else than yourself. Well, I,
3: I hear Sam, and I'm just saying get a grip, Sam, get a grip, you know, I'm thinking you need to calm yourself down because we don't know what's coming, you know, well, okay, I'm talking, I'm conscious, I'm talking, right, now you've got to, you know, this is one of the, you've got to gather yourself now, you've got to get issued together because none of us knew what he was doing, none of us knew if he was going to come after us, you know, finish the job off, we did not know, but... From talking to Mark after, as they were dragging me down the down the sort of down the grass there, um, he'd heard a second shot. Um, I didn't. I didn't hear it. Um, Sam didn't hear it after. You know, talking to her not that long ago, she didn't hear that shot either. So, you know, Mark did. But you still don't know. Has he gone and and shot the wife now? Like, where did that? shot go, no, none of us knew. And so laying there and um, Mark's, Mark's running around getting, um, getting things organised. I think he got on the radio, the car radio, um, to obviously um, update radio. Um, I look up and I see that Mark's cheek has been ripped open, like fully open. Oh, and right. and so I I'm trying to talk to him, but the right words are, I just can't find the right words. And so I'm pointing up at him, and just saying like you, 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 like do you know that your your mouth, your face is ripped open, and um, and so I'm hoping that he can get some care for himself. And I remember thinking, I don't know what my injury is like. I don't know if half my neck has been blown off or or what at the moment, but I need something, a bandage or something, I don't know, pressure, you know, what they teach you. Um, yep. But all I could think of was blanket, not bandage and so i'm pointing at at my neck saying blanket blanket but then they're probably going what are, you know what are you talking about um but that's that's the only word i could think of for bandage i just could it wouldn't come to me um, and then two young fellas who lived in the house next door were outside having a smoke when that first shot went off um So they've they've been or they've come over and they were helping um, just with injuries. Um, I remember one of them was smoking and so I've told him, put your cigarette out. I don't want that smoke (laughs) in my injury. I don't know what it looks like and I don't want this fellow, if he's coming back to get us, I don't want him following your cigarette around the place either. You're going to give us up. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm yelling at him, even, and um and it just seemed like forever, and um
2: you sound like you're running the show, Helen, from the ground <laughs> with your 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 neck opened up you're you're still running the show <laughs> I think
3: I was the part, but at at that that point that definitely Mark and Sam were were running that um. And Mark has said to me, we, we talked about, he told me about the second shot and I said, has he, has he? And I, I put my finger up under my chin, um, oh, yeah. meaning suicide. And at that stage, and I know this is going to be hard if the family hears it, at that stage that's what I had hoped for Um not not as anything against him, he did not deserve that. That's not what I'm saying at all, but I'm just saying now I know that they're safe. If that has happened, yeah. he can't come after any of us. and that that was my thought behind that. Um It breaks my heart that that he did that to himself um, and to his family. Um, they don't have him anymore but that by doing that at in that moment only I knew that we were all safe Um, and especially Sam because I was meant to protect her um and that
2: was my failing. gee Helen you gee if you don't mind me saying you're being terribly harsh on yourself like um, to to feel like that, it's it's very lovely of you to think like that. But
4: I think Narelle it goes to Hens, um, just her soul. If I can interject here, mm.
2: oh, ab- absolutely, it does. I I just think, my God, Pia mm. I agree. It says a lot about it. But she, what, how can you protect somebody when you've been shot yourself? It's hard to imagine, isn't it, being shot and resigning yourself to the fact that you're going to die. But what about Sam and Mark seeing their colleague fading and possibly dying right there in front of them? Their courage and bravery, I don't know about you, but I found it incredibly inspiring. Uh, There's many points in Helen's recanting of the event that are shocking, but then to watch what happened on a video would be almost as traumatic, if not more so, (laughs) than the actual incident. Hard to imagine. But there was also such an important lesson in what Helen said as well for serving officers, and that's the importance of switching on your body camera. I can pretty much assure you that next week's part two is just as incredible, just as shocking, but it also shows the huge loss to New South Wales Police that Helen is what a woman. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, Hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for com, and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much.
1: Hold up.